With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Showing your good side to the world has its rewards. When you become a plasma donor at Griffles, you'll help save lives and receive compensation for your time and effort. Up to $800 your first month. Use it for whatever you or your family may need now or in the future. You can donate plasma up to twice a week. And it's safe and simple at Griffles. Thousands of people are already doing it. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Show your good side to the world and get rewarded. Become a plasma donor at Griffles and receive up to $800 your first month. You'll help save the lives of millions of patients. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 14. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. What? (laughs) There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color. And if anybody's watching the news, that's Sam Little case. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers of color and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. But wink, wink, they are. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm -hmm. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. I gotta say, we need more voicemails. Yeah, please, please. Please leave us a voicemail. Anything. Just say hi. Yes. 602-935-6294. We won't answer, but we'll, we want to hear what you have to say and what you think. Yeah. And if you don't want us to put it on the episode, then tell us and we won't do it. Amen. So, yes. yeah. 
leave us a voicemail. Also, our website <laughs> is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. Mm-hmm. All of the notes for each episode, which articles and other media that we use to source this story, the music notes, all of that stuff can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. <laughs> Thank you so much to all of you who have done so. Yes. Which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar side fruitless pod or you can become a monthly patron through our podbean patron page we also have some merch for sale mom what are you waiting for do you love me or not on our website at fruitlooppod.com forward slash merch and if you cannot monetarily no problem you can always give us a five-star review on apple podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast from and be sure to share our show with your friends so beth who are we talking about today Today we're talking about Craig Price, also known as the Warwick Slasher. He killed his first victim at the ripe old age of 13. It's kind of interesting because he didn't do any slashing. Stabbing. Just a lot of... Well, I guess, I guess he did. Yeah, he, he did, did a lot stabbing. of stabbing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so we'll get into it. But in the meantime, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, we went to see Hustlers this weekend. That is you and me. <laughs> so you uh-huh. know all about that. We did. And we did. It, it was, was so fun. Super fun. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. That is a great movie. Yeah. It's a very diverse cast. And Jayla was really in her Latinx bag and, and her woman of color bag. And she she had all the wonderful women of color and in, included in the cast. Kiki, whatever her name is. Uh, Lizzo. Cardi B. Uh, who else? Who else was in there? Cardi B. Uh, oh, a Constance Wu. Constance Wu. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. all of, all of the way. Like it was very New York. Like it would be weird to not to not see that see many that women of color in in New York. Cast. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, she she did a great job. They're saying J Lo's gonna get an Oscar for it or an Oscar nomination. She was really good. She was really. She good, was. Yeah. She really, really was. And oh man, I, I and just she looks it so fantastic. Much. <laughs> oh my god! So she's like fifty something, and <laughs> she was wearing these outfits and like doing these strip teases, and I was like, oh. she, I was like whispering to Beth while we were watching it, like she's not even wearing spigs and look how good she like look how good she looks yeah it's she so unfair great. oh my god but you know what that's her job so i mean you know that is her job jayla will say she will tell you that when you 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 get the face that you're born with and then when you're older you get the face that you deserve and she doesn't drink or she doesn't like smoke and so that's the face that she deserves. Yeah, so she looks great. All I all I have to do is cu- put the Kirkland um, wind down, and then maybe I'll look like <laughs> J <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I always imagine. I don't really know, but I imagine that a lot of those actors work out a lot. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, and do like weird diets and stuff. Yeah, like that. that's their, it's their job to look good. So. <laughs> You know, right, right. Probably yeah. spend a lot of time at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we had the time, we would look that good too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, well, I do believe that I do look a good. Oh but, yeah, you look great. <laughs> but yeah. I, uh, 
Oh, and Beth, like, shout out to you. Like, I was looking at your butt the other day. Like, whoa. What? <laughs> <laughs> whoa. You, you, you got it, girl. You got it, girl. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> thank you for looking at my butt. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You have a good butt for a white lady. Um, so... <laughs> So how are you doing? I'm doing good. We, You and I went to the movies, but the day before I went to the movies with my daughter and we saw Angry Birds and they demanded to check my bag. And as they did when you and I went and I was like, what are you only checking black people's bags? Like I was like, <laughs> I was like ready to, to like call out the racism and the guy, his face got so red and he was like, no, no, no. It's, it's just because the black Knight movie came out yesterday or the, the Joker movie. And, and we're just trying to be cautious. And then I was like, okay, uh, let's go sweetie. Thanks dude for not being racist. Bye. <laughs> I told my husband the story. He was like, I'm so glad I was not with you guys. (laughs) So so now we are, let me uh, find um, the mailbag here. Call the angels. Angels. Yes, let's call the angels up. And oh, there they are. So what 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 do you got for us, Beth? Well, I got a review. Surfwatch on Apple Podcasts wrote a review titled Fun, Compassionate, and Real. I love these gals so much. <laughs> they share the stories that deserve to be heard for the sake of the victims who are ignored by mainstream media. And they have such a great dynamic with each other. Mahalo, is that how you pronounce that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you. In Hawaiian. Ah. Mahalo to Wendy and Beth, to all you do to teach listeners about how race, gender, class, and sexuality function in these invisible crimes. Mm, and uh, invisible was quote unquote. Yes. They're not invisible. They're not it's invisible. A, we, we, yeah. we see them in our community. They're, they're just not reported on. Yes. And hip hop air horn. Here we go. Yes. Right. Surfwatch. Thank you, Surfwatch. Thank you so much. Um, I am going to read a letter from Paul on Facebook. He said, I just listened to the Chris Dorner part one episode. I'm just in utter awe. It was a blistering, passionate run through being black in America. Oh, yes. Shocking and powerful. You really set out clearly how the system, quote unquote, works. Just why the N word just cannot be used by people who don't share its history insanity and injustice of the LAPD, the what I call the biggest gang in America, and the Rodney King and OJ stories, white America's need for the slap in the face of the OJ trial. And you did being damned funny too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I have no training in comedy. I'm just a black person and I'm trying to like not cry every day. Uh, talking of talking of boom funny and slaps the episode also had the best prayer i've ever heard give me the strength not to slap a bitch yes uh that is on my daily prayer list i lol so hard one love to you you got the power beautiful thank you and you sir paul are gonna be getting some hip-hop air horns get ready 
Yeah. Thank you, Paul. You deserve them. You deserve them. So we're working on some bonus episodes for our patrons, but as you guys know, we're super busy and we we have one recorded um, and it's not quite out of the can yet. We'll be posting that soon, hopefully. And um, But we wanted to reward our patrons who have been so patient waiting for bonus episodes. So what we decided to do is have a drawing once a month for our patrons. Mm. So everybody who is a patron in the month mm-hmm. will get their name in the drawing and then we'll pull mm-hmm. a name and somebody will win some merch. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure our patrons get rewarded, even though we can't get a lot of bonus episodes. Like some podcasts have tons of bonus episodes because they don't have other jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Other jobs or children or grandkids. (laughs) Well, let's let's call it what it is. They're all dudes. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, a lot of the women too. Oh, and the, and they have a lot of bonus episodes, and I'm always so jealous because I would love to do lots of bonus episodes, but that's their job, you know. Yeah, and yeah. We we can't afford to do that yet, so yeah. So hopefully. stick with us. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> yeah, we're trying. So we're are we just gonna draw random patrons' names? Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Now we're gonna take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. The future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Welcome to Wild Black, a podcast all about the struggles of life while black. Authorities have released dash cam video revealing the chilling moments that led to a police officer shooting and killing Philando Castile. The only place racism doesn't exist is Fox News and the police department. Stop. I'm telling you to stop and I'm not going to tell you again. And what will you do if I don't stop? I will detain you. All I'm asking is what unit. But I don't need to tell you that information, man. If you want to come into my building. It's not your building. You're not the owner. Here's the thing. The most dangerous place for black people to live is in white people's imagination. White people's imagination. Plus all the dopeness in life while black. Our culture is just so vibrant. And that's why people are so drawn to us. This is who we are as a people. We're just some of the most powerful beings. My husband uh, was a math teacher for many, many years. He doesn't teach the Pythagorean theorem. He teaches the so-called Pythagorean theorem because Pythagoras went to Egypt to learn that. This race and culture of people runs the gamut from the lightest of the light to the darkest of the dark. We got all flavors. There's power in this skin. And if it wasn't so much power in this skin, they wouldn't be trying so hard to kill us. Mixes it with a little humor. In order to get McDonald's from your parents when you was a little shorty, what must you have? You got some McDonald's money? Damn, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You Boom. got some McDonald's Official. money. You got some McDonald's money? Right. You got a McDonald's job? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. When it comes to your grits, brother, do you do salt or sugar? Sugar. That's the only way, man. I'm from Arkansas. I'm a country boy. Oh, man. We put sugar in everything. Everything. Just to remind us how powerful we are. It's something about being on a talented underdog team. The score is 450 years to zero. Do yourself and your culture a favor and go check us out on any podcast platform. Peace. Welcome to Wild Black, a seriously opinionated podcast. So, um, Beth, who 
are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Craig Price, also known as the Warwick Slasher. He was a juvenile serial killer who committed his crimes in Warwick, Rhode Island, between the ages of 13 and 15. Mm, So he was a baby. Yeah. So Craig Price, now we're going to get into the stats, which is Wendy's favorite part of the story. (laughs) Hey! And he didn't shoot anybody, but I just like the sound effect. Anyway, uh... (laughs) Craig Price, a.k.a. the Warwick Slasher, a.k.a. Iron Man, uh, was born on October 11th, 1973. He was 13 years old when he committed his first murder. Um, He was a black boy and uh, he had four victims. The murders took place in 1987 and in 1989. His victims were, let's put their names, rest in power, y'all. Rebecca Spencer, she was 27, Joan Heaton, 39, and her daughters, Jennifer, who was 10, and Melissa, who was 8. His MO was stabbing with a knife, uh, and uh, these all occurred in Warwick, Rhode Island. He was a juvenile when he was sentenced, so initially he was set to get out when he was 21, but eventually, due to circumstances and things that occurred in jail, or in prison, actually, um, he ended up um, serving a a longer term, and uh, I think he's still there now. Yep. So, now, we are going to dive into the setting. So, take us there, Beth. The setting is Warwick, Rhode Island in the 1980s. Warwick is the second largest city in Rhode Island and is located approximately 12 miles south of Providence, Rhode Island, 63 miles southwest of Boston, Massachusetts, and 171 miles northeast of New York City. Still don't know where it is, but (laughs) thanks. Rhode Island is part of New England. Beginning in the New England colonies, the name New England refers to the six states in the northeastern United States, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. New Englanders hold a strong regional identity and a distinct history and culture within the United States. Another term to refer to those who live in New England is Yankee, which was originally used to describe New Englanders with ancestral roots to original English settlers. The term has since evolved throughout American history to have different meanings. People from other countries might describe all Americans as Yankees, or people from the South might describe anyone from the North as Yankees. In 1620, Puritan separatist pilgrims from England established Plymouth Colony. Ten years later, more Puritans established the Massachusetts Bay Colony. In 1692, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, that's not true (laughs) at all. Don't listen to me. Don't fact check me ever. The town of Salem, Massachusetts and surrounding areas experienced the Salem witch trials. One of the most infamous cases of mass hysteria in history. Yeah. Crazy story. It's crazy what happens when white guys guys lose their (laughs) No joke. (laughs) In the late 18th century, political leaders from the New England colonies initiated resistance to Britain's taxing of the colonists. Residents of Rhode Island captured and burned a British ship. And residents of Boston threw British tea into the harbor during what is now called the Boston Tea Party. Sounds so happy. Okay, you guys need to have a seat. (laughs) Britain responded with a series of punitive laws and confrontations led to the first battles of the American Revolutionary War in 1775. 
and the expulsion of the British authorities from the region in 1776, just a year later. The region also played a predominant role in the movement to abolish slavery in the United States and was the first region of the U.S. transformed by the Industrial Revolution. New Englanders have a strong sense of cultural identity. Boy, do they. Although this identity (laughs) has a lot of contradictions, combining Puritanism with liberalism, agrarian life with industry, and isolation with immigration. And I have to say that New England is a beautiful place. It's gorgeous with a lot of history. And autumn in New England is the best. Okay. Yeah, the leaves turn all kinds of different colors like in 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 some places like my sister when she moved to Canada um she expected mm-hmm. the winter to be like New England where you know the leaves turn orange and red and yellow and but their their leaves turn like yellow and then just fall off <laughs> so, oh <laughs> <laughs> okay. so it's it's a it's a beautiful place yeah and i've mentioned this before i lived in Connecticut as a teenager I'm white, but as a transplant from another area, even I had a difficult time fitting in. My family used to joke about how if you didn't come over on the Mayflower, you were ostracized. Mm. And I can only imagine what it must be like for black people in that area. It has to be like a hundred times worse. Mm -hmm. There's a population of blacks in Connecticut, but they are mostly in urban areas near us. That was Bridgeport. Connecticut. Mm. Outside of that, in the more rural areas, racism is rampant. Uh huh. I didn't live in Bridgeport, but my feeling was that it was prominent there too. Mm-hmm. And many of the Ivy League schools are located in New England. Yale is in New Haven, Connecticut. Harvard is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Brown is in Providence, Rhode Island. So there's kind of a snotty attitude as well. Well, and and all of the and I think a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of those schools um, were funded by slavery. Mm. In fact, I think Georgetown um, currently has been in the news because it was revealed that they sold a bunch of slaves to avoid bankruptcy and so the the descendants of the slaves who were sold are are being paid reparations but each and every one of these ivy league schools has a hand in slavery and uh you guys could go fuck yourselves uh what were you gonna say beth sorry And also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, a lot of the areas have Native American names like Massachusetts, uh, because we took over the place from the Native Americans. Yep, Um, we did. Native Americans Mm -hmm. are long gone from the area. They were pushed out west. So it's it's a picturesque place, uh, but with a dirty underbelly. Yeah, I have no interest in going to New England anytime <laughs> soon, unless unless listeners want us to do a live show. But I have never been there. But my understanding is, as a person of color, that it is not a safe place for people of color. Go to YouTube and see the news footage of the Boston busing protests to see white people's reaction to just having to integrate their schools. They these white people lost their fucking minds. Wow. And were like open about it on the news. Like I would be embarrassed to be that hateful on TV. Yeah. And uh and here's another reason why. So Joe Biden, uh God, he's trash. And uh, he made some comments on the subject of um, busing. And and I think it was something like, don't quote me, but it was something like he felt bad or or 
felt terribly for the white mom who had to send her blue-eyed blonde-haired girl to school with essentially black animals and i don't know why you all are still out here supporting joe biden but anyway it's wild how blatantly racist all of these people were like on the news on tv and probably many of these people in new england still are so that's why i now a word from our sponsor BetterHelp. how we care for our minds affects how we experience life so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy there are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain like learning a new language or taking power naps but there's also BetterHelp online therapy now we are huge advocates for mental health here at oh, yeah. hq oh yes and we have both used therapy throughout our lives including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times mm -hmm. challenging thoughts feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. We'll not be going there. <laughs> anyway, so now we're going to get into the killer's early life. So hit it, Beth. Boom. Craig Chandler Price was born on October 11th, 1973 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The third child of John and Shirley Price. John and Shirley, devout Baptists, met in 1967 through their church. Their families were close, and the two sang in the same choir. They married in 1968. In the late 80s, Shirley was a clerical worker, and she also had a second job at Kmart. John was a manager at Pepsi Cola Company in Cranston. So both parents were present. Yep. They both had jobs. Mm -hmm. um, Responsible, upstanding citizens. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was the third kid. Nobody yeah. cares about the third kid. So uh, when <laughs> the third kid is the baby, man. It's the the middle yeah, but kid no, but nobody gives a shit about. <laughs> oh, you know, oh, Jan. Beth, yeah, Beth I'm, personal I'm Jan. experience. I'm Jan. Personal experience. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, I I always was envious of my youngest brother because he could just he could get away with anything. Yeah. I think my mom wrote like a lot of his papers for school, oh, wow. like <laughs> like filled out all his job applications. <laughs> like my sister was the the youngest, and she could get away with a lot too. But I think by the time she came along, you know, it's not the parents' fault. By the time she came along, they were probably just tired. They're like, whatever, do they whatever. Were yeah, exactly. <laughs> So every young, every every young, I think birth order is really important. It is, um, and I think it is really um, telling when you meet somebody who's either an oldest or a middle child or or the youngest one. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I know if I am doing if I'm working with a person who's the youngest, they're going to expect me to do all the well, the work. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, a middle child is like super drama. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it, these things, if, these although, things are, although are not the, things because they're not things. They're real. The, yeah, it, it's true. But birth orders can get messed up. 
uh, like in in my family, my brother was the oldest, but he usually the oldest is the most responsible. But yeah, he, he's like the least responsible. So <laughs> he like abdicated his role. So I kind of slipped into the the oldest kid role. So I'm not like a typical middle kid. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. 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 <laughs> I see you, boo. <laughs> and also if there's a whole bunch of kids or a gap in between yeah. uh, ages, yeah. then the, the birth order, like if, if the family has like three kids and then uh, um, they go five years and then have another three kids, the birth order starts over again. Mm, yeah. So like the fourth kid is going to be like the oldest kid. Yes. Yes. I I I see what you mean, and I don't disagree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, where were so, we? Oh, Craig, sorry, Craig, uh, so Craig was little. Craig. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie Friday? Yes. Okay. You get to lie, Craig. So when Craig <laughs> was little, he often made his parents laugh, and Shirley Price called him a little jokester. He was described by some as accident prone, always running around, sometimes not watching where he was, what he was doing. Uh, he slipped unnoticed out of the house at age three, he, and he was hit by a car oh. and injured his neck. Yikes! I don't know how CPS step in immediately. He had stitches when he was about seven. Uh, after being hit on the head with a rock and a year or two later he fell off a chair and broke his collarbone that doesn't sound too bad i mean he's a boy and you know running around and you know he got hurt a few times so yeah i mean having a little 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 boys are they just they just get hurt all the time yeah fucking that doesn't sound too bad yeah in 1978 (laughs) the price family moved to the buttonwoods neighborhood of warwick the prices chose the city for its public schools. Mm. Craig loved football and baseball and playing electric guitar. He was good at sports and didn't care if he won or lost. Ooh. He liked hard rock and rap music. He was a storyteller and he was described as a big marshmallow and always surrounded by friends. He could be a wise guy around the authorities, but was respectful to grown-ups in the neighborhood. He often offered to shovel snow or cut grass for his neighbors. Seems like a great guy. Yeah. A great little boy. So far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it Things change. According to Craig, when he was eight or nine, he was racing on bicycles with some other kids in the neighborhood when some older kids showed up, called him racial epithets, and threw golf balls at him. Uh, They accused him of stealing the bike he was riding, which was his prized possession. When they left, Craig says that the group threatened him with the car they were in, and he crashed his bike into a curb. At that point, Price wanted those kids to die. And uh, I feel like it needs to be said that somebody calling you the N-word or telling you that your hair is messy or your skin is dirty or whatever racism is i think uh, violent and you don't have to necessarily string somebody up by a tree um to uh injure them the words are enough yeah that's all and they were terrorizing him right threatening him with the car and all that you know Mm -hmm. it's scary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's eight or nine years old that's fucked up absolutely so he picked up his broken bike and he went home 
His father was mad about the damage to his bike. Craig tried to tell him what happened, but he wasn't supposed to be racing, so he got in trouble and he got a spanking. Price later said that he got over the spanking, but he never shed the feeling of injustice. Oh, I remember every single racist thing that has happened to me in my entire life. Wow. Uh, it makes it very difficult to sleep. Yeah. Anyway, his teachers at his high school thought he was smart, but that he didn't try. At 15, he tested above his grade level in reading and spelling, but he cut class and he had to repeat a grade. He began dabbling in drugs, doing drugs, and petty theft. He argued with his parents, threatened his sister, wound up in juvenile court, and was out on probation. While Craig had some problems, as we mentioned, he was uh, a member of an intact working class family. But Price later said that he didn't develop an outlet for his anger when he was a child and, quote, maybe that anger grew in an unnatural way, unquote. Hmm. Price traces the seeds of this anger to racism. And not condoning anything that he did, but I certainly can understand it. Yeah. Uh, one day while he was playing football with his brother and some other kids in the street outside of his house, Craig Price says that he heard a racial slur. And I just, I want to describe what it sounds like to hear a racial slur. You're, you, you get, your brow gets sweaty. Um, you're not exactly sure what happened to you. Your hands get sweaty. You get tense. There is a sense of fear um, and then there's a sense of rage. And it's also crippling because, you know, you can't do anything about it because you are going to be the one who goes to jail. So it's all of that in a one good salad bowl. <laughs> it does something to you uh, physiologically. Um, it's it, it is almost as if somebody punched you. Um, and there's nothing that I can do about the color of my skin. There's nothing I can do about my what I what I am. I'm a black woman. And so when somebody attacks me, uh, they're doing it verbally, but I experience it physically. It um, it really hurts. And it also sticks with you. Like, I will never forget the first time I realized that I was black when a kid said, can't you can't you clean your skin? Can't you clean that off? Wow. You know, um, and so. It is very painful. And so I can totally understand how the Warwick slasher was um, angry. But I, 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 um, I'm not condoning anything that he did, but I, underst I just understand the, the pain anger that yeah. he felt, the, the pain and the anger that he felt. Yeah. So I'm not going to kill anybody. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig Price said that he heard a racial slur in a man's voice coming from a car stopped in front of Becky Spencer's house. Price later said that he didn't do anything, but just like many times before, he grew angry and outraged. He stuffed it inside, but he said the anger wouldn't fit he couldn't he, he didn't know what to do with it uh and his inability to cope with the anger left him with a strong desire to murder So now we're going to dive into the timeline. So what do you got for us, Beth? Becky Spencer, her children, Stephen, who was eight, and Danielle, four, and her brother, Carl Batty, shared a house, but they were moving. 
Most of the furniture had already been moved, and the house was filled with cardboard boxes. Now divorced and in her late 20s, Becky had earned her GED the year before and planned to go to college. You better call Becky with the good hair. <laughs> I'm not. I, sh- I shouldn't. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Uh, on July 27th in 1987, Becky's kids were at their father's and she spent the day packing and running errands. A girlfriend of Becky's came over to help pack. And that afternoon, the woman ran errands. In the evening, Carl, a security guard, joined Becky and her friend at dinner before he headed to work on an all-night shift. The women started packing. That same evening, 13-year-old Craig Price joined the neighborhood kids for a hide-and-seek game with teams that they called Manhunt. Hmm. I don't know if this is a I've never played popular that game. game. I, I remember playing a, a game like this, but I don't remember what we called it, but it wasn't Manhunt. But anyway, hmm. the game stretched across the street in driveways and backyards, over fences and under shrubs. Throughout the game, Price and a friend were smoking marijuana. And um, I read in a lot of different places that he was heavily into uh, smoking pot. Well, as somebody who is an advocate for pot, <laughs> uh, it mostly makes you just happy. Yeah. You <laughs> and relax. Yeah. But I think at that age, 13 years old, it can fuck with your head. Yeah. To do anything that alters your perception of reality. So. I, yeah, we'll get into it on takeaways, I guess. But um, I wonder how much drugs had to do with the choices that he made. Mm, interesting perspective from the white lady. <laughs> burr, burr, burr. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to call you all like that. You're wonderful, then. <laughs> You're not like most white ladies. You're a good one. <laughs> You're on my favorite white lady list, (laughs) along with Julia Stiles. Anyway, at one point, a car coming down the street interrupted the game. In a statement to police the next day, one of the kids said that the man driving the car hollered at them about being in the street and that he made some comment that they could get run over next time. But Craig Price later told police that the driver had blared his horn at the kids and that Price had seen the man at Becky Spencer's house about a week earlier. Years later, Price would allege that the driver was the one who made the racial remark that Price had heard the prior week. On the night of the manhunt game, Price says, the man rolled down his window and called Price a racial slur. I can only imagine what that word was, but I digress. At about 9 p.m., a man that Becky's friend was dating stopped at Becky's house. He later told police that he had noticed a bunch of kids playing in front of Becky's house when he had pulled up. But his statement does not say what he said to them. At about 9.30 p.m., the trio went out for ice cream, ran a couple of errands, and then Becky's friend and her boyfriend brought Becky home. It was nearly midnight when Becky's friends left. Becky Spencer changed into pajamas and then lay down under a blanket on the living room floor since her bed had been moved already. She fell asleep to music videos on VH1. Oh, my God. Love VH1. Anyway, (laughs) Craig Price was home in his room. His father was working a night shift. His sister was staying with friends and his mother and brother were asleep. Price, dressed in black, snuck out of the house and headed towards Becky's house two doors down. 
He hopped a couple of fences and then dropped into Becky Spencer's backyard. The house was quiet and the only light was a dim flickering from Becky's television. Price peered into a window. He could see a figure under a blue blanket lying on the carpet in a room with no furniture. Price broke into Becky's house and then attacked her with a packing knife that he found there. Price stabbed Becky until she stopped moving. A total of 58 times. A total of 58 stabbings. He then ran from Spencer's home. When he got to the fence and tried to climb it, he saw that he still held the knife and he flung it and ran. Back in his room, he shed his bloody clothes, stuffed it into a bag and hid it in the attic. Then he washed up. Later, Price said that he felt clever for getting away with the murder. But he made sure to behave like everyone else in the neighborhood, terrified about a killer walking their streets. Mm. Two years later, in August of 1989, when Price was 15. So you got to imagine, like, he's going to school. Yeah, like, doing he's, all the usual so he's, things, he's arguing with his parents. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no big stuff. deal. Like, yeah. I did kill somebody, but, but yeah. big, big whoop. Got to get to football uh, practice. <laughs> got to get to practice. Got to do that algebra homework. Uh, He says he met Heaton and her daughters as he walked through their Warwick neighborhood. The family was out for a bike ride and offered to fix a chain that had slipped off of one of the girls' bikes. As he fixed the chain, Price believed that he sensed an aura of racial bigotry. I am familiar with that sentiment, so I, I, I can't disrespect it. Uh, from Heaton, and he interpreted the girls giggling as similarly rooted in the same perceived racism. Sometimes it's it's challenging sort of navigating this life as as a black person because you don't me as a black woman, I sometimes don't know if people are being assholes because I'm black. I don't know if they're being assholes because I'm a woman or they're just being assholes or they're just being <laughs> assholes. So it's like oh, I my brain is so tired. <laughs> anyway, continue. A few days later, Price claims to have noticed Heaton eyeing him from her window as he was walking home. What Price perceived as Heaton's contemptuous racism spun him into an absolute dark rage. Then a solution came to him. Quote, kill her. I knew the act of killing Joan Heaton was the answer. Unquote. Oh, I, uh, all right. Well, uh, on September 1st, 1989, Price again snuck out of his parents' house and through the neighborhood, this time towards Joan Heaton's home, one street away. He climbed through a window and accidentally broke a table sitting under it. Joan Heaton walked out of her bedroom. According to Price, quote, she seen me, then she kind of act like she didn't see me turned around and started to run like toward back towards her room that way or towards her kids unquote price tackled her in the chaos he said the kids woke up and their mother screamed for them to call for help quote she was just saying that get to the phone get to the phone unquote asked if either of the girls did so he said quote nah the daughter was just standing against the side of the wall unquote have you ever talked about your kids in the event that somebody breaks into their house or like your house don't recall if i did when they were little i don't think so i think i didn't want to scare them well my kids know that i'm super into true crime so i'm always like go across the street go across the street if if somebody breaks on our house go across the street and tell our neighbors neighbors, yeah 
yeah, get the neighbors. Um, but man, I, I just feel really bad for these little girls. They had no idea yeah. what to do and they had no idea what's coming. Yeah. I mean, even if, if you tell them what to do, it's still in the, in that moment, they might not remember, you know? Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, poor little yeah. things. Yeah, these poor little girls. Price said, um, Mrs. Heaton fought back. Uh, he said, she bit me and I bit her back. Price said he ran to the kitchen and pulled knives from a block in the kitchen. He estimated that he used about six knives in the killing because uh, they kept breaking. And I, I, I heard one account said <laughs> the knives were breaking off. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic yeah. that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was <laughs> nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. <laughs> then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. <laughs> Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? <laughs> Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, <laughs> while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. <laughs> yes, it sounds incredible. But if mm-hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy, in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground, ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm-hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. In these people's bodies. Bodies, yeah. During the struggle, Price cut his finger. 
Detectives would later find drops of blood throughout the house that they believed came from the killer. But Price said that his biggest concern that night was whether the police were on the way. Uh, afterward, Price said he took a towel from the bathroom and attempted to clean up, but stopped and turned his attention to getting the murder weapons out of the house. He took a garbage bag from the bathroom and put everything in it. Before leaving, Price covered Joan Heaton's body with a blanket and the two girls with a rug. Asked why, Price said, I couldn't look at that. I, I wonder what that says about the kind of guy he was. They usually say that if they cover them up, then they're actually ashamed. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But that that's okay. what the FBI says. <laughs> Those <laughs> FBI profilers. <laughs> Those F- racist but FBI it's, profilers. It sounds like it, though, because he said, I couldn't look at that, so... That's what it, does, it sounds yeah, like. It does, yeah, it does kind of sound like that. Yeah. 39-year-old Heaton's body exhibited 11 stab wounds to the chest, face, and neck, rib and skull fractures, and numerous injuries from blunt trauma. The body of her daughter, fifth grader Melissa Heaton, displayed seven stab wounds and evidence of having been similarly beaten. Jennifer Heaton, two years younger than her sister Melissa, was also found dead. She had been stabbed 62 times and her skull had been fractured. I'm just wondering why he, he, the baby was so... Yeah, I don't know. Like her murder was so, so much 62 more brutal times than the other and fractured yeah. her head. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, think of... Okay, I have a seven-year-old and I have a four-year-old. And like... How much surface area? Like there's, There's their bodies are small. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of surface area. Sixty-two times put in the same. Looks like her whole body. Yes. So now we're going to get into the investigation and arrest. Man, this case has me feeling a type of way. Um, So found at the Heaton residence were a bloody handprint, bloodstains in areas away from the bodies, and band-aid wrappers on the floor. Because of this, investigators believed that the killer had been cut during the attack. Warwick police officers and FBI agents began investigating the Heaton murders, keeping their eyes open for suspects with lacerations to the hand. And why was the FBI involved so fast? Was it because these were white ladies? Uh, I don't know. They called them in. Not sure why. But yeah, it could be because they were white. Don't know. Okay. Or it could be because they were children. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the rules. I'm not. Don't fact check well, me. I don't know. The, the, I think the police have to ask them in, and maybe they felt over their heads. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. But anyway, police believe that Heaton's murderer was somebody from the neighborhood, and that the crime was connected to Becky Spencer's murder. While patrolling Metropolitan Drive in Warwick, two police officers saw Price walking down the street. One of the officers was familiar with him because he coached him in basketball. So the officer stopped to talk to him. While talking, they noticed a bandage onto his finger. When asked about it, Price told them that he had gotten drunk a few nights earlier and punched a car window, breaking it. But the officers thought it was strange that he would so openly admit to doing something illegal. They decided that they needed to at least check the story and found that there was no police report of a broken car window in the neighborhood to corroborate it. And there was no broken glass anywhere. Yeah. Price then became a suspect in the Heaton murders. Investigators went to Craig's house and asked him to come with his parents to the police station, which they did. During questioning, Craig was asked more detailed questions about how he had cut his hand. He maintained his story about how he hurt himself, 
but investigators were not convinced and asked him to take a polygraph. So the following day, Craig submitted to a polygraph and he was asked questions related to how he cut his motherfucking hand. And the test indicated that Craig was lying, (laughs) but that did not prove that he was involved in the murders. No, 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 no. Investigators indeed needed more evidence. So on September 17th, 1989, police searched the Price home. While searching a shed behind the house, a trash bag was found full of incriminating evidence. Within the bag were several bloody knives from the Heaton household, along with bloodied articles of clothing, gloves, and other objects. Investigators arrested Price for the murders of Joan, Jennifer, and Melissa Heaton. Craig was taken to the police station with his parents. He was booked then interrogated about the murders. Police were shocked when Price immediately confessed to the Heaton murders. He claimed that he had just intended to burglarize the home, of course, but that Joan had caught him. And in a panic, he killed her. The children, hearing the noise, woke up, and then he killed them too. Craig's father was so upset, he went to the bathroom, threw up, and did not return to the interview room. His mother, Shirley, sat behind him, quietly crying. Asked if he also committed the Spencer murder, Price initially denied it. Craig told the investigators that he was glad, quote-unquote, that he got caught for the Heaton murders, but that he wasn't the killer in the other case. But hours later, under questioning, Price confessed to that as well. According to law enforcement officials, Price had no remorse when confessing to the murders. Um, so now we're going to dive into the trial. Um, and he was a minor, so there's not much here. What do you got, Ben? <laughs> After confessing in 1989, rather than a trial, Price's case was adjudicated in Rhode Island Family Court since he was a juvenile. Adjudication is when a judge listens to the evidence and then makes a decision. There's no jury. Because of the law, Price mm-hmm. could not be tried as an adult in criminal court. Price was 15 when he committed the Heaton murders, and the cutoff was 16. I wonder if he were to face a jury. I think that he probably would have gotten the death penalty. Yeah. I mean, he was a big kid. Yeah, would have been worse for sure. Black kid. Yeah. I'm I'm sure it would have been a white jury because black people don't fuck with jury duty. And you should, by the way, black people be on more juries. Um, for more just do your um, civic duty outcomes, but do your civic duty. But I think black people are think I, I are afraid of um being like sort of being on the books, yeah, in a in with the justice system, yeah. and um and and that's that can be dangerous for people of color um to be on the books, <laughs> if if you will. Uh, so anyway, um, Price was found guilty of counts of burglary and four counts of murder. The court ordered that Price be held at the Rhode Island Training School until October 11th, 1994. Price's 21st birthday, a sentence of less than six years, um, is when he was supposed to get out. Under state law, at the time, they could not give him a longer sentence. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Hit it, Beth. (laughs) When Price's public defender learned that the prosecutors were contemplating the possibility of having Price committed to a mental institution, she immediately advised Price not to cooperate with psychiatric personnel, even though he had been court-ordered to do so. Any good defense attorney would have done that. Just saying. 
1993, Price was charged with assault and extortion after allegedly threatening to snuff out a training school correctional officer. Price was found guilty by jury verdict and received a 15-year sentence. Price also continued to defy repeated court orders to undergo psychiatric evaluations. Rhode Island Attorney General Jeffrey Pine, I'm sure he's a white guy, urged the court to hold Price in contempt for his ongoing failure to cooperate. The trial court agreed and imposed a one-year sentence for civil contempt, which would terminate at any time upon Price's compliance with the court order. Price finally agreed to undergo psychiatric evaluation, but doctors reported that Price had lied during the sessions about his involvement in the Spencer and Heaton murders. The prosecution then moved to hold Price in criminal contempt, and Price was found guilty by a jury verdict of criminal contempt and sentenced to 25 years. So he got more time for criminal contempt than than for murder. The justice system is obsessed <laughs> with, with with getting black bodies behind bars. It's ridiculous. A 13-page paper by Alan B. Feinstein, a psychologist for the Department of Corrections. Feinstein wrote that while other factors were present in Price's psyche, years of experiencing both overt and covert forms of racism appear to have had a significant impact on his physiological functioning and ultimate acts of aggression. And the people who are writing the books on psychology are all white men. And so the idea of racism is completely foreign to them. And so I, I do um, I, I do appreciate that Feinstein wrote this, but he doesn't get it. And um, I don't think anybody who's a published psychiatrist or psychologist understands the, the true impact of racism. We need more black and brown people in this field um, to really study that um, and, and explain yeah, it and explain study it. it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Because it, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm just like sweaty talking just about it. But thinking like, about it. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's, it's awful. It's awful. Anyway. Feinstein interviewed Price many times in prison. Throughout the interview process, I was struck by CP's numerous stories of racial mistreatment and the effect they had on him. These events were related in such detail. It was as though they had occurred only yesterday rather than in some cases over 20 years ago. Like the time he was five and other kids wondered where his tail was, like when other kids were served soda and glasses and he was the only one with a paper cup. Interviews conducted with CP indicate that his victims were not chosen at random or as a matter of convenience, but rather due to their being associated with some perceived racial slight directed towards him. And fuck you... (laughs) It's not perceived. Okay. Beth and you and I could could debate this later, but I don't think it was perceived. So Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> On July twenty ninth, two thousand and nine, Craig was involved in a prison fight with another inmate. While trying to break up the fight, one of the correctional officers was stabbed in the finger by a handmade shank in Price's possession. After the prison fight, Price was transferred to another facility. Price was denied parole in March 2009, and his release date was set for May 2020. All right. Uh, But on April 4th, 2017, Price attacked a fellow inmate 
named Joshua Davis with a handmade knife at the Suwannee Correctional Institution in Live Oak, Florida. Price pleaded guilty to attempted murder and contraband in prison, and on January 18th, 2019, he was sentenced to another 25 years. Under Florida law, Price will have to serve at least 80% of that sentence, or 21 years, for that crime, and he's been classified as a habitual felony offender. Mm, I got lots of feelings about that. So now we're going to get into what we think made him snap, as well as our takeaways. So what what do you think about this case? Beth? Well, obviously, racism played a big role, as as we talked about, and um, his inability to deal with his anger. He also, to me, seemed to have uh, somewhat of a paranoid personality. There's no doubt no doubt at all that he dealt with racism in his lifetime. I mean, obviously, but um, Mm -hmm. if the story about how he met Joan Heaton and daughters is true, which we don't know because this story came from price. um, So we don't even know if that story is true. I I sometimes think that he's not a reliable narrator. You might be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if that story is true, he perceived racism coming from them when it's possible that it, it was there wasn't any uh the girls giggling Mm -hmm. made him think that they were racist joan looking at him out of her window he perceived as racist um they didn't do anything overtly racist um and that's not to say that it's not at all possible that his perception of racism was incorrect it's possible Mm -hmm. but it's also possible Mm -hmm. that the girls were giggling because they didn't know him and joan was just looking out of her window um like uh when I take my dog for a walk in the neighborhood and I see a man walking towards me, I, I move to the other side of the street. Um, and if that man happens to be black, I could see that he might think that I'm being racist, but I'm just moving to the other side of the street because he's a man. And, um, sometimes, um, I worry, I do worry about that. You know, that's, I think about it, it's like, oh, he's black. Maybe I should stay here. But no, if he was white, I'd move over to the other side of the street. So yeah. I'm moving over to the other side of the street. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I had a, a psychologist one time who um, who told me, you can't really control what other people think. You know, like we were talking about relationships and, and uh, stuff like that. So this story is more mm-hmm. about that kind of a thing. Like you could walk into a mm-hmm. room full of people and... Um, the guy across the room could think that he's in love with you and, and you did nothing, (laughs) you know, and uh uh you know, it's, uh it's just a perception that, uh, all of a sudden he's in love with you and he starts stalking you and there's nothing that you did, uh, nothing that, uh, Uh you didn't encourage it or whatever. It's just his perception is that he's in love with you. And, and, Right. I I, wor- I I have to say I do worry about that. Um, like I don't want anybody to think I'm being racist um, by looking at them out mm-hmm. my window or something, you know. But, <laughs> but they might. <laughs> I well, I think I think the looking out the window is not is not a thing. But if you're looking out your window and then you're calling nine one one or like, oh yeah, ah, these oh yeah, are in my, but, in my neighborhood again. But he, that's very yes, racist. of course that's overtly <laughs> racist. But he said she uh-huh. was looking out the window at him, and and he decided that she was racist. I gotta say, I gotta say though, 
um, growing up in a very white, I didn't grow up. I, I, I went to high school in again, Spokane, which I will always say Spokane is fucking racist and I hate that fucking town. That's why I won't go see my mom anymore. But anyway, um, so, uh, it is very racist and you see people opening their windows, looking at what, what, what you're doing or, um, like we had one neighbor come over and, and was like, so are you guys renting? I was like, no motherfucker. My parents bought this goddamn house. Get out of my face. Yeah. And there's, there's other things you can do. Like, um, somebody looking out the window and then she clutches her pearls and, or, or gives you a dirty look or something like that. You know, that's that. Yeah. I, it happens. And I've also, I've also, we've also talked about too, how, white people don't realize that they're being right sometimes and so that woman looking out the window uh she might not have like she might have maybe have felt uncomfortable with a black person in her neighborhood walking down the street um and wanted to to look and see but she might that might have been unconscious racism yeah right like there's a black person that's weird that shouldn't that shouldn't be in my white space right Yes. Um, But the the other thing that he did that uh, made me think that maybe he was not such a reliable narrator was when he talked about the guy in the car who yelled a racial slur at him when they were all playing in the street. Mm -hmm. None of the other kids said that he did that. He he's the only one who said that he did that. They all said that he was yelling at them to get out of the street. You know, maybe he did yell a racial slur at him, but yeah, maybe it didn't. You know, um, it just makes me think maybe he's not such a reliable narrator. The story. Yes, the story. Yeah. And that's not to say that somebody didn't yell racial slurs at him at some point or another, because, yeah, definitely it happened. But maybe not mm-hmm. uh, that day. Um, I, I don't know. I don't I, you know, and I, and I don't know either, but. You know how everybody's like, believe women. I'm like, believe kids who say that something racist has happened to them. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I've started um, my own practice of um, acting like I'm super afraid of white ladies. (laughs) And like, like, I lock my doors and I grab my purse when they're around. Watch your pearls and give them dirty looks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like... (gasps) Oh my god! Oh my, oh, oh my goodness! Oh my god! Lots of doors. Everybody, white lady. Mimi, like my daughter. Don't look at them. Don't look at them in the eyes. Uh, and <laughs> I only say that to say I think that racism can really make people snap. Like it really causes, causes I've talked yeah, all throughout this episode a make, lot of problems and make episode longer than you have a lot of problems including PTSD um on like a cellular level like as a person of color as a not one person not why non-white person you just feel the stuff and you got to worry about it all the time all the time got to worry about it all the time because again I'm never sure I'm never a hundred percent sure if somebody's treating me some way because I'm a woman or because I'm black or because yeah. you just never right. know. The only ones who get to move about freely are straight cisgender white dudes. Like they don't think about this shit ever. 
And um, boy, oh boy, it must be nice. But I'd like to interrogate the justice system in this case oh, because yeah. um, we've talked about um, the adultization of black kids before on 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 how kids of color are um, the, whatever bad things happen to them are their fault, um, and at a young age they're treated. Um, as far as the justice system is concerned, like adults right. um, and, and they're not. And so this killer was very young and juveniles, I think, should be released at some point. Right. That's I, I think they should get treatment. And uh, yeah, that should be the goal. Get get them treatment and get yeah. them released. It's yeah. It's yes. Civilized citizens. Um, but the justice system just didn't want to let this no. young black boy go at all costs. Yeah. It seemed like at every turn he was about to get released. Like they were like, oh. yeah, there was actually people who formed a group and I forget what In the yeah. it was a bunch of white ladies. Um, I don't, I don't remember <laughs> who all was involved, but uh, I think one of the cops was involved and some other people and mm-hmm. their whole goal was to keep him in prison for the rest of his life. And in jail. Yeah rest of his yeah. life and i know that he killed but he was a child when he did it yeah and like i said he was doing drugs and i think that fucks up your brain when you're that young but it was just pop. yeah but i think it it fucks up your brain when you're you're that young agree to disagree <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I just think anything that's that uh, alters your perceptions is going to mm-hmm. fuck you up when you're still growing, your brain's still growing, you're still learning about the world, you're not looking through a clear glass, you know? It's fogged. Yeah, I I can totally see your point. I just I just I don't fucks with it. That's all. <laughs> um, but uh <laughs> It just seemed, it, to me, it seemed ruthless that the justice system was like, no, we got a black guy, a black child in jail, and we are going to keep him there for fucking yeah. ever. And I think, uh, obviously, part of the problem was that he was big. Yeah, he was he a big was a black big, guy. He was like uh, 300 yeah. pounds, I and think. Dark yeah. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so they were scared of him. Um, uh-huh. But I I. I think his um, attorney did him a disservice by telling him not to uh, cooperate with getting psychological help. You know what? I'm going to agree with you on that one. Yeah. Because I think it might've helped. Yeah, I th- and maybe he would have had an opportunity right. to like get the treatment that yep. he needed and, and maybe get out. And uh, I don't know, maybe he, he could have led a really like productive, successful life. Um, yeah. So I don't know. But like you said, any any good uh, defense attorney w- probably would have advised the same thing because um, we talked about this in another episode, the Hawaiian guy who was in a mental institution. Once you get in the mental institution, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get out. So I, I imagine that's why he was advised not to cooperate. But I think it was a real disservice to him as a person, even if he was stuck in the mental institution for a long time maybe he would have gotten some help i don't know yeah i guess i guess we will never know yeah
If you love to cram and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So this tip is from Zeke via email. Um, A good tip for people with sliding windows that either don't have locks or the lock is broken or need to leave a window cracked for some reason or another, you can use a piece of one by one or any piece of wood cut to the length of the other window. And then you put it into the track of the window that slides so it can't be opened any further. And anyway, uh, hope it's helpful and you haven't already mentioned it. We have not. And um, on both of my kids' windows, we do have a, a piece, piece of wood, of wood yeah. in the track so that nobody can um, open, break yeah. into our house and steal our They can our only kid. open the window just a little <laughs> crack. I actually have a piece of metal pipe in the track of my sliding window. I, I found it in my yeah. garage and it was the perfect size. So I just stuck it in there. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you zeke for the tip yeah, no, and if anybody else wants to send us some tips to read on episodes uh, have at it yes we love it we love it and we love you so now we're going to get into some serial killer and true crime news extra extra read all about it so me and beth both have some thoughts on this but so there was a nine-year-old girl who turns out that she's actually 22 years old what <laughs> so uh natalia the quote-unquote child has a form of dwarfism natalia tried to kill her parents by putting bleach in her mom's coffee (laughs) i just think that's so funny the child had full pubic hair when they tried to give her a bath uh the child used sophisticated language and she claimed to be ukrainian but didn't understand ukrainian language a bone density test confirmed the girl was at least 14 natalia attacked a baby boy and this was all captured on uh baby monitoring technology uh she smeared bodily fluids on the walls and she would stand over her parents in the evening with knives uh she tried to drag her mother towards an electric fence at one point uh she was treated for mental health and then Uh, She was sent to a psychiatric institution. Uh, She was released by her adoptive parents and um, they took care of her for years. Um, They found places for her to live. And um, like when so when she wasn't living with her parents, they were like, look, you fucking crazy. We're just going to get you an apartment and we'll pay for it. Just please stay the fuck away from us. So they like financed her living expenses and stuff and pay for an apartment for her. And then her parents were like, we're going to Canada. (laughs) And then Tiller. And they left Natalia and lost contact with her. And uh, eventually, uh, Natalia, the quote unquote child, went to the Canadian officials and was like, my parents abandoned me. How dare they? And the courts ended up proving, I guess, that Natalia was not a child, but now... Um, the state of Indiana is charging her two parents and, and they actually went to jail for harming a child. 
And um, also in other news, Amber Geiger, that racist white cop who shot that black man in his apartment has gone to jail. <laughs> um, so what do you got? So um, about the story about Natalia. So what I read was that they actually don't know the whole story yet, that she's either 30 or 16, depending on what documents you believe. Uh, the Barnetts, okay. the adoptive parents, had the girl's Ukrainian birth records, and they indicated the girl was born in 2003. They had them change to make her an adult, but the attorneys who represented her in a guardianship case believe that she is a minor. The information about the pubic hair, the menstrual cycles, and mental health disorders came from Christine Barnett, the adopted mother. Her ex-husband did not back her up. Officials have called the claims into question, and police say that the bone density tests carried out on Natalia in 2010 actually show that Natalia was eight years old then, and that in 2012, tests showed that she was around 11. A year after changing hmm. their adoptive daughter, daughter's birth records, the Barnetts rented an apartment for the girl in Lafayette and moved her there. Lafayette? <laughs> Lafayette. <laughs> A month after that, the rest of the Barnett family moved to Canada so Michael and Christine Barnett's oldest son could study at a special school <laughs> for smart people. <laughs> Please say that in 2013 to 2016, the Barnetts did not support Natalia financially while she lived alone in the apartment in Lafayette and they lived in Canada. Another family has since taken the girl in and reportedly they have not had the problems that the Barnetts claim to have had with her. They are attempting to get the girl's birth records changed back. According to the prosecutor's probable cause affidavit, the charge against the adoptive parents came after Michael Barnett told investigators that they knew the girl was not an adult when they left her in Lafayette. So it's it's a pretty interesting case. I I'm not citing yeah. exactly one way or the other yet. I'm waiting for more information to come out. Um, I do kind of think it was a dick move to leave the girl like that, especially if she had all those mental problems that they claim that she did. Um, they could have provided more help for her rather than just leaving her. Um, I don't know. And I also I immediately didn't like the lady. <laughs> Oh, agree to disagree. I feel like the parents are victims. Also, I was born with pubic hair. Oh, wow. And I got my period when I was Yeah, so, so, so there's that. It's not weird. <laughs> yeah. And then there's that. Yeah. So. Um, just the looking at the lady's picture, I know that's awful. I just immediately had like a dislike for her. And then I read that she wrote a book about her smart son and I guess he has a mild case of autism and she's supposed to be like a parenting expert or something that immediately made me not like her. <laughs> oh, red, red flag. Yeah, that's a red flag to me. <laughs> it's like, look at me. I'm a, I'm a parenting expert. My, my autistic son is a genius. We're going to Canada. <laughs> now I don't know. I don't know, but that's just my immediate feeling. So <laughs> It is kind of suspect, but I just, I, I mean, I, I think that this is a, a fascinating story. And yeah. so I, I can't I, I, wait. When we were, when I was working on the talk, I just had to, I, I just had to <laughs> include yeah. this. I just thought it was so funny. I can't so wait funny. to find more information Crazy. about 
about it. I hope I hope that they keep reporting on it. And I hope this isn't all we ever hear about it and it just like fades off into the ether. I want to know more about this. Same, same, same things. Same things. <laughs> so now we are going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any marginalized groups or any true crime goodies so i wanted to shout out the spooked podcast it is back y'all in time for halloween (laughs) um and the creator is a black dude and um they have some of the most terrifying ghost stories that have stuck with me like i i will never forget i will never forget the story about the lady who was attacked by a raccoon with rabies oh my god wow (laughs) <laughs> I'm sweat. I'm like, what do you think about it? So, it, it, and these stories are told by amazing storytellers. Um, it's great production. They they probably have a lot of money behind them. They're, they're not they're not doing no, a food no. style. But I binge I binged all oh of my. the episodes that are out right now. It's just fantastic. That's awesome. It is so scary and so awesome. So, so, so the guy who does Spooked also does a show. His name is Glenn Washington. Oh, uh, he also does a show called Snap Judgment, and that's really good too. Awesome podcast. Yeah, yeah. I used to listen to it yeah. on NPR back in the day when uh, I didn't listen to podcasts. Oh, old school. Old school, style. yeah. Old white guy style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only uh, show, I think, that was hosted by a person of color on NPR that I knew of. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god NPR, come on do better um yeah but i was with a bunch of old black guys and they were like oh i just it really enjoy listening to npr when i'm uh doing uh long drives to to tucson and i was like you guys haven't heard a podcast what the fuck is wrong with you i i'm gonna get me i'm gonna get a shrimp on a stick i'm out of here <laughs> so uh yeah so spooked it's so good all right if you want nightmares (laughs) all right (laughs) so um where can the people find us beth our website is fruitloopspod.com our facebook page is fruit loops pod and our discussion group is fruit loops pod discussion on facebook we are also on twitter and instagram at fruit loops pod and links to our sources will be in our footnotes if you want to support the show you can send us a donation on the cash app which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign fruit loops pod or you can become a monthly patron through our podbean patron page this this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. It really is. <laughs> <laughs>
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. 